Welcome to episode number 187 of the Pioneering Today podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about ways to earn income from your homestead or from your land in order to support your family. This is a topic that many of you have asked about, and I thought it would be a great episode if we brought a guest on who has managed to do this in a pretty short period of time. For those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. So pleased to meet you. For my repeat listeners, high five. My name is Melissa K. Norris. I'm the author of The Made From Scratch Life and the book Handmade, as well as the host of the Pioneering Today podcast, along with a website and YouTube channel of Pioneering Today. And I am so pleased to be with you today. Now, when it comes to having a homestead or a hobby farm, some people want that way of life and they still work their regular day jobs or have regular jobs outside of the homestead. And other people, the homestead is their sole means of income. And then there's a lot of people who fall kind of in between, which is where my husband and I fall. He works outside the home as a sawyer actually at a guitar mill. And I am at home doing, we both do the homestead. Let me clarify that. Living a homestead life is going to require both people and pretty much all members of the family in some capacity or another. So our whole family, both our kids and my husband and I, we all do the homestead thing. But I'm at home during the day and doing the podcast and writing books and the website and all of that stuff while doing the homesteading stuff is what I do. So our homestead does bring us an income. It's just a little bit different because I'm an online teacher and educator, I guess would be the best term. I've not quite ever really thought of it that way, but really the truth of it when it comes to this homestead lifestyle. So living this lifestyle and being able to teach and share others on them being able to do it is how I bring in my income. But there are many ways, and I would say the other ways are going to be a lot more of a sure bet and probably bring you in a much larger income a lot faster than doing this online route that I have done to create money from your homestead or from your land and things that you're doing that are considered homestead skills. And that's what we're really going to be diving in today in this episode. So today's guest is Todd. And Todd is known as the Sustainable and Living Family Dad. And they have the Sustainable Living Family Farm. So the Sustainable Living Family Dad is all about doing it yourself and living a more sustainable and healthy lifestyle. High five. He fits in just perfect with us. Almost three years ago, they gave up the easy life in the suburbs for a down and dirty life on a 25 acre hobby farm. They try and grow their own food, raise livestock sustainably and naturally, and create self-sustaining systems with everything they do. Living out there also means fixing, building, and engineering all kinds of things almost daily to meet the needs of the farm. So without further ado, let's dive straight into this episode and all of the tidbits that you can glean to creating income from your homestead or farm. 
Hey guys, I'm super excited for today's interview because this is something you guys have asked me. I've gotten a lot of questions about. I think it's going to be very valuable. And I'm really excited to introduce you to Todd from Sustainable and Natural Family Farm. So Todd, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Yeah, so we're just going to dive right into it. What I think is fascinating about your guys' story is, so just from 2016, you guys started a homestead and a farm, and that homestead slash farm is sustaining you and your family. So can you give me just like a little, give us a little bit of, of history and the story, and then we'll dive into talking about the ways that your farm is bringing in income for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, uh, my wife and I both were working full-time jobs and, and running the rat race of life and kids and school and athletics and all those things and church and everything else. And, um, you know, we just decided we wanted to, you know, kind of live a more sustainable life. And uh, my wife really wanted to have goats and, and we just had gotten into gardening and, and kind of growing our own food and, and different things. Um, my wife had lost her job and that had affected our income quite a bit. And so we were trying to do things more ourselves and, and kind of, you know, figure out how to make up that, uh, that income. Um, and that led us out to this, this farm, this homestead where we are now, uh, it's a 25 acre piece of land in the middle of nowhere, a uh, small town. And, uh, and, and we're, the, the goal is for us to be a hundred percent sustained, you know, meeting all of our needs, food and money and all those things here uh, on this piece of land. And we're, we're, we're on the way to that. <laughs> and, um, you know, over the past, I guess, almost three years, we've, we've certainly learned a lot. Um, and that is ever evolving of, of how we earn income and how we, um, you know, do all these things. But uh, we were suburbanites and now we're, um, I guess we're, we're not <laughs> anymore. So, um, but yeah, it's been three years since we've, we've moved out here. Uh, and, and that's what we're trying to do. We'd like to be able to live off the land completely. So you guys had some skill sets already, cause you said you'd been gardening and doing that type of thing. So when you came to the property and 25 acres, we only have 15 acres. So that's a, that's a decent chunk of land that you guys are, are working and stuff. Did it, was it raw? Did you have to develop it? Did it already have some infrastructure in place? So we, we went from like a half an acre in this, in, you know, our little suburban homestead and we did garden and we had square foot gardens and we had other things, but it was pretty minuscule. Um, we moved out here. There was some infrastructure. So there was a pole barn, uh, in place and there were some pastures that needed a lot of attention, but there were some pastures in place. But our biggest asset that was here when we moved in was there was already planted hay fields. So there's about nine acres of, of hay field that was ready to, to, to harvest. Um, and that was a huge uh, help for us to get started. And I should say, too, is let everybody know where you guys are located, because I know we're talking about hay fields and everything. Um, and I know people are going to ask. So you guys are in Michigan, I believe. We're in mid-Michigan, um, you know, between Lansing and Flint area, which is pretty much the central part of the state. And so, yeah, we get um, we get a good winter here um, and a shorter summer. <laughs> so lots of cold. Uh, but the summers are pretty, pretty decent and lots of rain here. So, you know, things grow well. 
Okay, it, it kind of. So I'm in the Pacific Northwest. I'm on the west side of the Cascades of Washington State, actually. And so we're kind of the same way. So I'm gardening zone 6B if you actually look at our plantable days and average temperatures and all of that. And so same thing, lots of rain, uh, shorter summers and longer winters. But I think your winters are probably a little bit more harsh than ours, but very similar growing conditions. So yeah. with the hay fields, because we're, we have cattle, we raise our own organic grass-fed beef and we take pigs and chickens and all that kind of fun stuff. But when it comes to hay, we don't actually do our own haying, uh, but my, my dad and my brother do haying, so we're really lucky that, that we can work with them. How many cuttings do you guys get with your climate then on your hay? So it, Michigan weather is, and just like the Pacific Northwest, it's, it's really, it really depends on the year. Um, the first year we were here, we uh, made some very small investments into some old hay equipment <laughs> to get mm -hmm. us started. Um, and we got, actually, I got four cuttings that first year that we did hay here, wow. which was really, you know, the fourth cutting was very, very small. Um, but, uh, but everything worked out well this year. Uh, I probably will only get two cuttings. I just got done with first cutting here. Um, and, and it's, you know, usually in May and it's July. So, uh, it just depends on the year and, uh, but three cuttings is usually the, the average. Okay. And we're... Usually we're two. We're really lucky if you hit a third, mainly because we're just so wet that if you cut it for hay, you're, it's not going to have time to dry. Now, if you're doing haylage or silage, obviously that's a little bit different. But um, so are you guys doing regular like square bales? Are you doing like big round bales or what's your what's your hay? Um, oh, yeah. Right now? We're, we're doing old school square bales. We've got yeah. a 1955 Oliver baler and, and it, uh, it it cranks out the little square bales. So those are the, you know, for those of you who don't do hay, that's <laughs> that's where all the work is. Uh-huh. Um, you know, round bales are great because you can use a tractor to move around, but square bales got to be moved by hand usually. So, um, but yeah, yeah, that's what we're doing now. And they're, they're easy for us to um, feed various animals in different pastures and, um, we have horses, which they tend to prefer, uh, you know, square bales in many cases. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So what's your guys's, what's it, hey, are you doing alfalfa? Are you doing timothy orchard or what, what kind of seed mix are you guys doing? So the nice thing about these hay fields is they were planted. I don't know the exact mix that was in them, but there is alfalfa. There is some timothy. There's definitely some orchard grass. It's a, it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty good mix. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's broom grass in it or not. But uh, it's a kind of a good self-sustaining mix, so it'll last a decent amount of time before it needs to be replanted. Um, and it's been good horse hay, which has helped with income for us originally because we could sell it at a, at a decent premium uh, and, and make a little bit of money off of that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and guys, we're going to circle around to the income. Sorry, I got sidetracked by the hang because <laughs> it's something that we do, and I'm always really curious and, and getting to talk to people. And you're absolutely right. I don't have horses now, but I actually used to do horses. I used to amateur barrel race and, and train and break out horses. And so you can generally just, that is the way it goes. If horse hay, I paid top dollar for good horse hay, and it was always the square bales in comparison uh, to what we can do to cattle. So as far as like a cash crop, having it seeded and being able to do it that way is going to bring in definitely uh, a larger income, generally speaking, 
um, than the other way. So let's let's just dive right into that, talking about making an income from your farm and from your property and having it help to pay for itself. So obviously when you guys came in, you already had where you had the hay field had been done and you could jump in and get that cutting. So haying is obviously, it sounds like is one of your guys' ways that you bring in income. What are some of the other ways that the, the farm and the homestead pays for, helps pay, I shouldn't say pays for itself, but brings in income? Right, yeah. And that, you know, having those hay fields was a huge boost for us because our whole idea, you know, simple sustainable living is kind of the, the catchphrase or the name of what we do. And uh, we, we want everything to be kind of self-supporting and self-sustaining. And that all starts with those hay fields. So um, we, we harvest that hay. Uh, generally, we sell off enough to cover all of our costs for fuel and, and you know, tractor maintenance and equipment and all those things. Uh, we sell off a, maybe a few hundred bales. It covers all the costs that we have for that hay. And so um, other than our time, the rest of the hay that we have left is is free feed for our animals. Uh, and so, you know, that gets cycled through to we have a, a pasture breed of pig that eats a lot of hay throughout the wintertime. Um, the horses were kind of a rescue. They're, they're not really part of our <laughs> sustainable operation yet. Um, they're just giant hungry pets. Oh, yes. <laughs> but, but we have goats. Um, we have these Nigerian dwarf goats, which we milk and also sell off as uh, another income source. Uh, they're uh, um, a very popular pet breed, and so we, we sell those off for a pretty good price, the, um, um, the, the goat kids. Um, are also our pigs breed our registered breeds American guinea hogs and they piglets sell off for a pretty good price as well um, and so we sell those those uh, animals off um, but all of that starts with those hay fields and it really allows us to to make um, a, a higher profit margin off of those animals because we don't have to buy hay and buy feed for them as much yeah it that's so true because our biggest expense we're like you guys now our homestead isn't our main source of income my husband he works his a day job and i worked my day job as a pharmacy tech until just a few years ago and now i do my books and the podcast and all of that online stuff is my main job but our biggest when we're looking at raising all of our own meat because as i shared we do our own organic grass-fed beef we do our own pork we do meat chickens and then i've of course got chickens for eggs and our largest expense by far is going to be our feed bill because we do supplement we are grass pastured usually here with our climate you know it's always kind of touchy but usually the end of april through september we're totally grass-fed just on the pasture but then we have to start supplementing with hay and right. those other months. Yeah. And so it always is. So if you can, like you said, you guys have the hay that you sell is basically making just the hay that you keep. It's paying for all your expenses. Then your profit margin on your livestock is so much more. Kudos to you guys. That's awesome that you're able to do that. And I wanted to share too, because you guys actually are using your animals, at least some of them. And so I want to talk about that there's kind of two ways that you can use your livestock on a homestead to make a profit. And obviously one portion of that is if you are going to be selling it for meat. So if they're meat animals, you can sell, and especially with cattle, you can sell it as a whole beef, half beef, even down to a quarter beef, but then you can also breed them. And then of course you're selling off the young ones and you guys are doing that with the goats and it sounds like the pigs too. And then you also have, if it's like a milk animal, then you could sell the milk or maybe you're taking the milk and making it into soap, different things like that and selling it. 
there's multiple ways to make income off of livestock. And I think sometimes when you're new to it, I think it's really good for you to sit and look at what's going to be the most profitable for you. Now for us, because we do have to pay for our hay, which we're really fortunate, like I said, we've got some family sources, so I don't have to pay this much. Yeah, (laughs) I get a family discount, amen. We were doing otherwise, but so for us to winter over a large herd, if we were going to be doing it where we were selling off the calves and the litters, talking about if we're having like piglets and stuff, for us, that's not as profitable because we're going to be putting way more out in feed in order to do that. And then right. with the cattle, we have to keep a bull. And let me tell you, the bull, kind of like a horse, they're going to eat a whole lot more. Like your expenses right. keeping a bull is going to really go up. So for us, we don't do that part. We just have the meat. But that's definitely something to think about full circle and think about it too your cost versus how much you're going to be bringing home profit-wise. Because sometimes you might be getting a lot for that animal, but if you've got high feed costs, it's really not going to be working out. Yeah, and a lot of people, and the way that we're doing things, and it sounds like some of what you're doing too, is is not really traditional farming. You know, traditional farming for pigs, for instance, are, okay, I'm going to go out and buy 10 feeder pigs at the beginning of the year, 20 feeder pigs, 30, whatever, and I'll buy them from someone else. And then I will raise them out for a few months, heavy grain feed, and get them as big as possible, and then take them to market and sell them off. The operation that we have is just, that's not how we wanted to raise those animals. So we have to overwinter them because we're breeding them. And so, yeah, we have to keep a boar or two. We have to keep a couple sows that we have to feed through the wintertime. But the idea with the pigs is that those piglets will cover all of the feed costs for the year. So we get meat out of the deal. We sell off the pigs for some little extra money covers all of our feed costs, and then it helps feed us for the year too. Multiple ways to make money and save money because harvesting your own meat is going to save you a lot of money by having food. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And sometimes it is that, like you said, sometimes you're actually breaking even, but then you have all of your meat, or like in right. your guys' case too, with the hay, it's covering all your hay costs. So sometimes you're not making a profit necessarily monetarily wise, but if then if you were putting out money to buy that same meat, and I have to stress, just like you said, it's the quality of meat because we're like you. We don't do grain fed. If I do have to supplement with any outside feed source that's not grass or obviously our hay we get is all scrap, but if I'm having to purchase any grains, I'm always getting certified organic and non-GMO if we're doing that, but we don't do grain fed. They're grass fed. And when you're comparing that to buying that in the store, like, oh my goodness, and it's so worth it, but you do have that. And to some things, if you're thinking about livestock as well, is we don't keep a bull, but we're lucky enough that we've got neighbors, and you can also do artificial insemination, but that's a whole other ballgame, and I don't have personal experience in that one, so I'm not going to talk to it, but it is an option. But we're able to breed our cows back every year by rotating through we have um, my brother has a bull and my dad has a bull and we have a neighbor that has a bull and so they love it because they can send their bull to our house and we're feeding it during the breeding time and they don't have that expense and some people will charge you you to take the bull but they're like no you're feeding him for a couple of months and he's at your house like yes take him (laughs) well that's a really a great way to do it because that especially when you're starting off small that is one of the hugest expenses is keeping a boar. You have to keep that boar all year round or keeping a bull or keeping a ram. You have to keep those animals all year round, and they really just have a job for a couple weeks out of the year. 
that's a huge expense. <laughs> yeah. And on the flip side, if you do have a board, I would say too, when you let your animals go anywhere or you're bringing an animal in, you want to make sure it's from somebody that you totally trust that, you know, yeah. the animal isn't carrying any disease. I mean, there's a whole litany of things there, but that could be something that you would look at and one, it would reduce your feed cost, or you might even charge a cover fee in order for someone to use your boar and your bull for breeding for a few months. You do end up keeping one. There are ways that you can monetize that or cut your costs down too by letting it go out. Okay, we've got the hay and we've got the livestock. Do you guys have any other ways that your homestead farm is bringing in income and helping to pay for itself? So I, I guess the, the, the real two, the two things that I always talk about on our YouTube channel for people that are starting out with homesteading and farming or whatever you want to do, you really have two things that you need to do. You need to reduce your, your living costs and your expenses way down. And so one of the ways that we support ourselves is kind of like you said, it might not be making money, but because we have whole chickens and we have pork and we have vegetables and we have a whole lot of our own food that we produce here for next to nothing that reduces our living expenses we don't have to produce as much money but outside of just the selling off the livestock and the hay and sometimes pumpkins or vegetables or other things i also do side work for off and on as kind of a self-employment thing for computer repair and that's just the job the skills that i had and so to fill in the gaps along the way i do a lot of computer work for friends and family neighbors and local businesses and things like that which helps to fill in the gaps when we're not making extra money. And also we do maple syrup. That's another big one. Maple syrup is probably going to end up being one of our major sources of income and one of our focuses here because we just love it. Oh, awesome. So obviously you have got some maple trees to tap if you guys are doing maple syrup. So how many acres or how many trees do you have that you're tapping from? We don't have that much forest here, but strangely, uh, maple syrup's always one of the things I've been interested in doing, and, and praise God, when we moved out here, we had the hay fields, and we also had this huge stand of maple trees. Pretty much the entire forest we have, which is just a few acres, is maples. It's not an older forest, so there's probably about 100 maple trees in there, and uh, we've just about maxed out on what we can tap here on our property, but we're going to start looking at neighbors, properties, and other, you know, stands of trees around here as well. But we have that as a huge resource. Produces quite a bit of maple syrup for us. That is awesome. We don't have the sugar maples. We have a few maples here, and I've tried tapping our alder, but we don't typically get a long enough stretch for the sap to run here where we're having those freezing and then thawing. And plus, you're just not getting as much sap off of those trees. So I haven't ever collected enough to make my own syrup. I'll try not to be jealous. <laughs> we'll have to send you a bottle of SSL Family Farm syrup to Cheska. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. I would love it. I've thought about planting sugar maples, but then I'm looking at the time, you know, you put them in by the time they'd be large enough to tap. Right. I'm not sure it would be the best use of the property, so I haven't yeah, In 20 it. years, you'd have some syrup there, maybe. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. One of the things, you know, that we don't have a lot of sugar maples either. We have mostly silver maples and a lot of red maples and a few sugar maples. And so although there's a huge, there is a sugar content difference, they all produce great syrup for us. So we just have to work a little extra hard <laughs> to get the syrup out. Yeah. I want to circle back to a couple of things that you mentioned and really kind of highlight and dig into those a little bit. And with the homesteading and making it self-sustainable, like you said, is cutting back your expenses. So even if you're at a spot 
where you're not really ready to go and purchase or you, you don't have acreage where you can't really do a whole bunch of livestock or really run a farm, you can definitely start taking those steps where you are producing what you can with where you're at right now. And that's going to get you into the practice and kind of allow you to save more money to then hopefully move and purchase livestock or get onto a larger piece of property where you can do more self-sufficient things. Because having some acreage, and there's a lot you can do on small acreage, but if you're going to be doing livestock and some of these bigger things, especially the larger livestock, you are going to need more acreage and, and pasture space and all of that. I know, right? We always feel that way. We're like, oh, we need to clear more or yeah, there's never, never enough pasture. But I think sometimes people get trapped into thinking, I can't do that right now. And so they don't start taking those baby steps or doing what they can with where they're at right now. And so I think that's really important in cutting back those expenses, especially if you are gardening and you are preserving some food, is you are saving that amount of money. So instead of just maybe spending it is putting some of it at least in a dedicated fund or focus on paying off bills you know so that you don't have those and getting those paid down so you are more debt free and i love that you brought up the fact that you still do some side jobs and do some different things with the skill set that you have i think we sometimes have this dream especially homesteaders of living completely off grid not being reliant on anything producing all your own food. And we produce a lot of our own food. But the reality is, even back in the day, I mean, going back to hot ingles and lower ingles and stuff, as Paul went and did side jobs, he would barter and, and do different things. My grandparents, the same thing. My grandpa worked in the woods, even though they produced pretty much all of their own food, you know, what he needed to bring in money and stuff. So I say that because I, I don't want anybody to feel like, oh man, I just couldn't cut it doing it our own stuff, it's really normal to do that and to supplement and don't feel like it has to be totally one or the other. I think most homesteaders and even farmers, especially if you're doing it more for your family and it's not farming like a huge agriculture type thing, do that. So I just want people to know that that's really normal to do that. So I'm glad that you brought that fact up. Yep. There is so many ways to, to reduce you know your expenses and really for people that are watching YouTube and watching all these homesteaders and, and wanting to live that life, you know, wanting to be off grid or be more sustainable. There's no reason you can't start right where you're at in your apartment and you can start doing things yourself. That's the biggest way that we started saving money to begin with. My wife lost her job and our income was cut more than in half. And we had to figure out, we started to do things ourselves. You know, when the car broke, I started looking things up on YouTube when we needed to fix something. We needed to do a project in the house to improve the value of our home or something like that. I'm not going to hire all those things out with YouTube and, and the internet. Like there's no reason why we can't learn to do just about anything and, and do those things ourselves. And it saves a, an enormous amount of money and it prepares you for this lifestyle because you need to know, I can't call a mechanic every time my tractor breaks or my, I have to be able to fix those things. And you can start wherever you are in life and learning those things and doing those things yourself. Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, it's so funny because we just purchased a used Ford tractor actually at an auction this past fall. And so we've, we've been saving forever because we try to buy things as we have the cash where we can afford them and not put things, get loans or credit cards and that type of deal. Tractors, if you've never looked at tractors, y'all, they are way more spendy than you would think. <laughs> like the equipment for farming 
when you start to move into that balers and all of that stuff, like it's not cheap and they are working pieces of machinery and they totally break down. And so it was the same thing. We had purchased it. We knew it needed some work. You know, obviously we're buying an older tractor. And so my husband, he's never worked on tractors before, but luckily my dad has worked on tractors, but between my dad and YouTube did a lot of the repair work, all of it ourselves, you know, and that it's, it's just worked great. So it's been really good for us, but yeah, the do it yourself attitude. And then two, when putting up food, which even if you don't have the space to grow a huge garden, you can get things in season, go to you pick farms, or even get a really good deal at the regular grocery store and preserve that up. My husband, you were talking about your wife, where she had lost her job. My husband, a couple years back, he didn't lose his job, but they had to go on restricted hours. And so he lost a full eight hours every week. And that wasn't as much as losing half of a, a family's income. But it did definitely put a pinch on us. But because we had all of that food put up, I just shopped, and I'm using quotation marks, even though you can't see that because we're obviously just doing audio. But I just shopped more from our pantry and made sure that the meals that we were doing and everything were done from our preserved food, where maybe I would have supplemented a little bit more from the grocery store. And so we didn't really notice that we had that income lock. Sometimes it's kind of like an insurance thing as well is how I feel about it. And those skill sets will totally pay off down the road if we start implementing now. It does. And it also allows, like you said, you know, I have a, a friend who's a, a mechanic and he's worked on all kinds of tractors and other things. And if I run into a problem that I can't fix or that it's too big for me, I don't have the equipment for the tools or something like that. I've done some computer work for him. If I call him, hey, man, can you come help me with the with a tractor problem I'm having? He'll come over and help me with that. It's a way that I can use the skill sets that I have, help him out. He can use his skill sets to help me out. And that kind of thing happens a whole lot more than I thought it would out here. There's a lot of things that I run into that I just can't do. Learning how to do something is one thing, but having a hoist to lift an engine out of a car or something like that, you know, there's some things I just don't have. And so, like you said, using your skill sets to kind of barter and trade and do favors for one another, that, that helps out a lot. Yeah, it does. I am a huge fan of bartering and trading services. In fact, it's so funny because I have, I keep saying my brother, I'm one of 10 siblings, so I have a lot of brothers. <laughs> it's not always the same one that I'm referencing, but we just this past weekend bartered firewood for my brother's mechanic services. Yeah, it definitely, even if it's within family, um, we often do bartering and stuff like that back and forth. And it's just such a great thing to have. So if you've got skill sets, like put them out there and, and don't be afraid to offer to barter with somebody. And if they say no, then they say no, it's not, then you can start talking about money. But I always say offer up the bartering system first and see if you can make that work beneficial for both parties. Because a lot of people are really open to it. I just think a lot of times we don't think to ask about it first until you until you start doing the homesteading thing and then it comes up a lot more I think <laughs> absolutely yep yeah so is there anything that if you were looking back because you guys have jumped into this now going on three years is there anything you're like man if I had only known this when I first started out or for somebody that's first starting out and, and making this jump that you would be like this is like my best advisor I wish I had done this differently well, how much time do we have because I, I got <laughs> But here's the thing. I could tell you or anyone all the things I wish I would have done differently when we moved out here. And, and I wish I would have started with this. I wish I would have done more of this or less of this. But part of doing this, you know, every person is different and every homestead is different. And the things that I wish I would have done differently, I had to learn that. And I had to, to dive in. And I, we tried a whole lot of things. We're currently kind of getting out of the pig business. That just 
really wasn't a fit for us with the other animals that we have here. And we're going to start moving more into sheep, breeding sheep and, and doing them because they're more of a dual or, or triple purpose animal. I couldn't have told you, you know, I couldn't tell anyone don't do pigs because pigs have been great for us too in many ways. And so I think that no matter what, you just have to try things. And when you get out to your homestead, there's a lot of research and planning and preparation that you need to do, but don't be hesitant to just try things. We tried selling pumpkins. You know, that really wasn't a, a huge win for us. And so we're going to try something different this year. And every year it evolves. We will try different things and see what works and what doesn't. We found the maple syrup to be awesome for us. So now we know we can focus and invest more in that. It sells quickly. It's only heavy labor for a few months out of the year. It's definitely something that we have the resources for. And so that's a win for us. I couldn't have told you that two or three years ago. And so really just you have to try things and see what works for you, what works for your property, what works for your climate, and what works for your community. You know, who's going to buy these things? I thought pumpkins would be a huge hit. You know, I, I thought pumpkin, they're, they're going to sell so quick. We're going to, I think we made $70 or something. <laughs> you know, it was, <laughs> and they just didn't sell because there's so many other people selling pumpkins around here. I didn't know. And so I learned that. I might try Christmas trees down the road. It's a little bit of a longer term investment. Trying things out, no matter what, any advice I could give somebody is just to try out things that you're passionate about and that you like to do and see what works. Some things aren't going to work and you need to be prepared for that because it's going to happen and so that's okay. Yeah, I think that's great advice and I'm glad you brought that up. In fact, it was so funny. Before we jumped on to do this recording, I was thinking about homesteading and even entrepreneurship and just all those things in life. And I'm like, you know, I think the biggest key qualities is one is having determination, like determine, like I'm going to do this. But along with that determination is not being too bullheaded and having the ability to be like, okay, this isn't working. How can we pivot, not give up, but how can we pivot and change things to make it work? Because I know myself, there's been times where I've hung on to something, just being like, well, this is the way that you're supposed to do this, even though it was not working for us at all. And if I had been willing to be like, okay, let's figure out a way that it is working for us and making those changes. So I love that you brought that up. And it's so true because some things work really great in some gardens and in some climates or on some homesteaders and for their family dynamic, but it might not work for you. There's that school of experience. I think it's good to do your research and take tips from people who've went before you but you still have to do it and then decide, is this working for us? So I think that was a really good tip. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone's going to be different and, and every community is different too. You know, you just never know, like the, the whole pumpkin thing. I, I didn't really pay attention to how many people, are, there were like three or four other farms within a couple miles of us that had pumpkin stands. And, you know, so I just didn't pay attention to that. That wasn't a good wasn't a good thing for me to pursue, but, and I could be bullheaded and I could try that every year, but it, it's probably not going to do any better. And I just have to let go of that. I, I really wanted to do that. It was a passion I had. I love that time of year and all those things, but if that's not making money, then I can't do it. <laughs> we got to, yeah. I got to chase what's going to be profitable. And uh, for us, the goats have honestly, goats and maple syrup have been our most profitable thing. And so uh, we'll continue to do more of that. Awesome. So how many goats do you guys have? Out of curiosity, what, what's your um, program look like with the goats? So we have, uh, gosh, I don't even actually know how many goats we have right now. Uh, about 20-ish, 25, mm -hmm. somewhere around there. <laughs> um, and we, that's something we would like to continue to expand on a little bit too because 
those sell the quickest. Our pigs, they sell sometimes quick, sometimes not. But the goats seem to sell really quick. We put those up on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or through the YouTube channel and other things, and they go pretty fast. Um, and so uh, uh, we have the Nigerian dwarf goats, and they're just, you know, little cute goats. They're, they're good milk goats, too, but they don't produce, you know, you're not going to go out and get five gallons of milk from, from the goat. You know, it's a, a quart or two. Okay. And then what's, I actually don't know with goats. I've never raised goats. I've totally cows, pigs, and chickens and horses. But what's the gestation period of a goat or how many times a year can, should you breed them? I should say. So the goats are, are about five months and you could breed them twice if you really wanted to push it, but that, that's really not good for the mothers. Uh, We, we try to do just once a year, we try to do a spring birth. That's when everyone's looking for goats, the best time to sell them anyway. And then we'll put the moms out on pasture and we'll milk them for a little while and then just let them do their thing for the rest of the year. They eat. We don't feed our goats all year. I mean, just like the grass-fed beef, we put them out on the pasture in the summertime and they do their thing. When the grass and, and leaves and all the things that they eat die back, die off, then you know, we'll start feeding them hay. Uh, but they're very inexpensive to keep that way. They do get some sweet feed grain in the wintertime. Okay. And then I'm going to sound really ignorant, y'all, but I'm not ashamed to sound ignorant when I don't know. I think there's there's great power in educating yourself. But do they typically only have one kid, or how many does a mom on average have with their pregnancy? You know, so reading online, if you look into getting goats, most most websites and most people will say that goats will have most of the time two um, and very rarely three. Uh, these goats that we have, I don't know if it's just the genetics or what, but we've had some insane, two years we've had one or two goats give birth to five, wow. um, which is almost unheard of. And a couple times we've had four also, but the majority of the time we get three and sometimes two. If they're healthy and everything, you can get, I mean, so it profitably, you know, financials we're talking about here. If you have a goat, one doe, it's pregnant, and it has gives birth to five babies. If just three of them are girls, they're two hundred dollars each. So that's six hundred dollars just out of those three, and then the males sell for a hundred, hundred fifty. Okay. And so you can make a thousand dollars off of that. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Which is good, yeah. Okay. Well, I might be looking more at goats again. We had goats. <laughs> we got it when we first purchased our property which was totally raw so we had to put in a well powerhouse like everything we didn't have anything and it was just wild and so we had a cousin of ours had a couple of goats and she's like do you want to take these goats they'll help clear your property and we're like oh great yeah let's get the blackberry vines down which they did eat back the vines it didn't actually kill them like it did help them from spreading and kind of strip them down but they were older goats there was no milk involved they were just way more trouble being there wasn't any profit coming out of them for us <laughs> than yeah. they were worth. So I feel like I'm a little bit goat prejudiced, but I think I need to get over that and look at just getting the right kind of goats. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, goats can be tricky. They uh, like to escape, but they do eat all of the strangest things out of your pasture that your cows and horses will not eat. So they'll eat, I mean, they'll eat poison ivy, they'll eat, they eat everything. So that's a good thing. That is a good thing, yes, because keeping the pasture where you have good grass and without the bad weeds and all the noxious stuff. Do they eat thistles? They eat thistles. They will eat, I don't know how, they eat pine needles, they eat thistles, they eat the pokiest, strangest things, and they love it. (laughs) Okay, well, I may be rethinking things, guys, and this will be the seed if it happens. You know, it started here because the thistles drive us crazy. Our kids are older and they have practiced. I just have to preface that. 
they know good safety. But we have some older machetes, and so when the thistles start to go to seed, before they go to seed, obviously. Yeah, get them. Yeah, we go out, and that's what we do. We're like, okay, for a half an hour, you get to go and just whack every single thistle that you can find so it does not go to seed. So we can at least keep them from spreading and then work on it. But it sounds like uh, the goats would be great for that. So thank you so much for coming on. This was such a fun episode. Great information. And where can people go to find out more about you, see some more of the things that you guys are doing, and that type of thing? Yeah, so the most common place you'll probably find us is uh, the YouTube channel. It's SSL Family Dad. We also have an SSL Family Mom and SSL Family Kids. Each of the family members have a, a YouTube channel. SSL stands for Simple Sustainable Living. It used to stand for simple suburban living we had to change it (laughs) and so we also have our website which is um, sslfamilyfarm.com where we have all kinds of things posted there as well so okay awesome and so on the youtube channel do you guys do tutorials that type of thing yeah you know what my my youtube channel is just about everything anything we're doing here diy projects tutorials how to's farming stuff gardening stuff anything that's going on here i try to videotape it Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Like I said, I really enjoyed this. It gave us a lot of info and I look forward to seeing what you guys keep on doing. Yeah. Thanks for having us on. I appreciate it. Now, remember, you can grab all of the different links and there's a full written blog post that outlines everything we go over in every episode. And to access this one, simply go to melissaknorris.com forward slash 180. Seven, just the number 187 because this is episode 187. I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did and you got some great ideas for things that you can do to create an income or to barter and support yourself and your family. And today's episode is brought to you by my book, Handmade, The Modern Guide to Made from Scratch Living. If you don't have a copy, you are going to love it. You'll have resources for doing your own fermented foods, from doing fermented vegetables and sauerkraut to real old-fashioned sourdough. And we have over 100 plus of my family's favorite from scratch wholesome cooking, as well as a complete section on using herbs medicinally and some of my favorite herbal recipes. You can go to handmadethebook.com to access all of the bonuses and you can get it wherever books are sold. Now on to our favorite part of the podcast. Well, I should say many of you have told me that this is your favorite part of the podcast and so I love that. And that is the verse of the week. Today's verse is from Philippians chapter 1, verse 13, and this is the Amplified Translation of the Bible. So much is this a fact that throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest here, my imprisonment has become generally known to be in Christ, that I am a prisoner in his service and for him. Now, for a little bit of context, this is from the New Testament, and this is written by Paul, and he is actually in jail at this portion when he is writing this letter. But what I thought was kind of, inter- well, I don't know if interesting is the right word, but I should say what struck me about this passage is even though most of us, I'm going to assume almost all of us who are listening to this are probably not actually sitting in a prison and being held captive literally in chains, 
many of us go through really hard things. There may be other things going in on in our lives that are holding us captive, or we're just going through a really tough, hard period. And what I want to challenge you with is if you're going through something like that now, and if you're not going through it now, just the way that life goes, we all know that eventually we will be going through a hard time or really struggling and wrestling with something. And that is when you're in that hard spot where things aren't easy, they might be downright painful. Are you still showing people? Could people still look at you when you're going through those hard places? And do they still see Christ? Is he still evident in the way that you speak and your actions and the things that you do? I know I had to sit and think about that for a minute because I can't say that that is true of me all the time. So that's something that I need to be working on is even when I'm in those rough spots, making sure that I am still living as Christ would want and that he is still shining through me even though my circumstances are not ideal and things might be really hard, but that I've got my joy in him and I'm making sure to put that front and center and focusing on that so that it shines through me to others. Thank you so much for joining me of this episode of the Pioneering Today podcast. I can't wait to be back here with you next week. If you enjoyed this episode and you're not already subscribed to the podcast, however you're listening to this on whatever app that you're listening to, make sure that you hit the subscribe button so that as soon as a new episode is released, it will deliver straight to your device so you don't miss out on any of the awesome things. Okay, now it's really bye until next week. Mm